If you're ready to elevate your level of care and professional satisfaction, register today for the trusted DPC event that can help get you where you want to go. With three physician-led tracks focusing on starting a DPC practice, growing a DPC practice, and clinical expertise within a DPC practice, the Direct Primary Care Summit has content for anyone no matter where you are in your DPC journey. The DPC Summit is happening June 20th to 23rd in Dallas, Texas. Learn more and register today at dpcsummit.org. Direct primary care is an innovative alternative path to insurance-driven healthcare. Typically, patients pay their doctor a low monthly membership and, in return, build a lasting relationship with their doctor and have their doctor available at their fingertips. Direct primary care means that I work directly for my patients, so I'm able to focus on their care and save them money on health care. I'm Dr. Emily O'Rourke with Fountain Direct Primary Care, and this is my DPC story. Dr. O'Rourke attended the University of Nebraska Medical Center for medical school, then went on to do residency at Eastern Virginia Medical School and Portsmouth Family Medicine. She served as chief resident at EVMS Portsmouth Family Medicine Residency and is board certified in family medicine. She opened her DPC doors in October of 2018. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. O'Rourke. Let's start by hearing about the foundations of your direct primary care. So in spring of 2016, I'd returned to work following my second maternity leave, and I had an infant and a toddler at home. And at that time, I had a full panel of around 2,500 patients, and I was seeing 25 to 30 patients a day. And because I've always believed in the importance of the doctor-patient relationship, Um, I've always given each patient the amount of time that they needed, which is often 30 to 45 minutes. So I was always running at least an hour behind, if not two. And I was in the office for 13 hours a day. Since I was pumping between visits, I didn't get a lunch break. I had no time for myself or my family. And I still felt like I was falling short as a doctor. Although I was focused on the patient in front of me, I had no time to communicate with them between appointments, and I was seeing more and more patients without insurance or with high deductible plans who were worried about out-of-pocket expenses, but I had no idea what anything cost. Also, I wasn't a good role model for my patients. I wasn't getting enough sleep. I wasn't getting any exercise. I was mainly eating junk food. I was overweight. I was burned out. I could empathize with my patients, but I couldn't offer them guidance in how to get healthy. I knew my job wasn't sustainable, but I didn't realize there was another option at that time. Throughout medical school and residency, we're trained to put our own needs last and sacrifice for others. But ultimately, this results in a lot of unhealthy doctors and a ton of burnout. That summer, I attended the AFP DPC Summit in Kansas City, and I immediately knew the DPC was the answer, both for me personally and for healthcare in general. But I also knew I needed to focus on my own health before I could be successful in starting my own practice. 
in the meantime, I realized that if I was going to quit my job anyway, I didn't have to continue killing myself to see as many patients as they could pack onto my schedule. So I worked with my receptionist and nurse to create a schedule where I would see a maximum of, of 20 patients per day. For the first time, I was able to stay on schedule and I actually had time to eat lunch and use the bathroom. And I was even leaving the office while the sun was still up. So I had more time with my boys. I prioritized my own health with exercise, healthy foods, drinking more water, getting more sleep, um, doing meditation. I was showing up as a better physician, wife, and mother. And I helped many of my patients make similar changes. And ultimately, I'm really glad that I took this time to work on myself and to create a sustainable work environment so that I didn't have to force my DPC practice to become my life raft. And when I started my DPC practice, it was because I truly believe that DPC will fix healthcare and that it's the best way to care for patients. As a mother, I, I empathize and I can just picture you trying to balance that life plus pumping, like you were mentioning, and also just not feeling that guilt of trying to do the best you can um, without taking care of yourself. Thank you so much for sharing that. Definitely. When you opened your doors, did you initially sever your ties to fee-for-service and go straight into DPC, or did you have a hybrid model um, as a transition? How did you handle that opening? So actually I was able to um, talk to my boss and just transition from the primary care side to the urgent care side. Um, so I was in the same building and I was still basically working full time, uh, but I was doing um, urgent care on Tuesdays, Thursdays and weekends. And that left my Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays open for my patients. So October 1st of 2018, I started both urgent care and um, my direct primary care practice. Um, I wasn't able to opt out of Medicare, obviously, while I was working in the urgent care. Um, so I wasn't able to see uh, patients 65 and older at that point. Um, but it actually worked out really well because um, I was able to bring in, you know, that same doctor income and, you know, not have to put that pressure on my practice to, you know, immediately produce the kind of income that I needed to support my family because um, I am the primary breadwinner. And um, I am no longer in the urgent care. I actually had put in my notice to leave right before the pandemic hit. So I did urgent care for the first 18 months. And um, at this point, I have opted out so I can see patients 65 and up. And I'm still doing some moonlighting with uh, VA disability exams. Uh, but it's really been nice to regain control over my schedule and have my nights and weekends free to spend with my family. And how old are your boys? They are four and seven. Oh, awesome. They will remember this time with their mom. It's ironic that you left urgent care right as the pandemic was happening. And, you know, <laughs> totally. <laughs> best timing ever that you could have not planned for. Um, mm -hmm. But that said, I want to ask you, when you transitioned from 
the uh, primary care side to the urgent care side, I'm assuming you had patients that were yours in the primary care that you ended up seeing in urgent care who potentially wanted to follow you into your mm-hmm. GPC. So how did you handle that time when you were still opted into Medicare and having your doors open in DPC without seeing Medicare patients 65 and older? Mm-hmm. Well, so for, um, I did have a lot of Medicare age patients that had wanted to follow me. And, um, you know, I basically recommended some of my colleagues to them. And so, so they are, most of them are still seeing those docs, but some of, some of them, since I opted out, have now um, followed me. But the hilarious thing is that I actually saw some of my former patients more in urgent care than I did when I was their primary care doctor, which really just, you know, goes to show how sad the fee-for-service primary care world is because they're not taking care of their patients when they have urgent concerns. You know, the, the schedule is made three, four months in advance and that schedule is packed and there's no room to slide a patient in. So you're really not able to see your actual doctor when you get sick. And that's who you need to be seeing, you know, your doctor who knows you the best. It's just such a great example of how broken our healthcare system is. Now, I want to ask you that said, what is your patient population in terms of the, the demographics first? Because I know that some people do work urgent cares, but they're in such a large city or suburb that they won't necessarily see their own patients. So tell us a little bit about your area's demographics. Um, So of my current patients, I've got 140 patients right now. It's about an equal mix of men and women. It's mostly adults and um, 60% of them are uninsured 10% have a health share and 30% of them have insurance. Do you have patients who are employed or involved in employer groups? I do. I have two different employers that I work with. One of the employers pays for a DPC membership for all of their full-time employees. And the other employer offers DPC to their employees, but they actually pay for the membership themselves. And the cost of membership is taken from their paychecks as a post-tax payroll deduction. Gotcha. And in terms of people who might be just starting out with employer groups or who are interested in knowing more, how did you get those two employers to learn about your practice and to sign people up? Well, one of them actually contacted me. So he had heard about direct primary care and that was something that he was looking for. And so he had just, you know, done a Google search and found me and signed his employees up. Um, The other one, um, a friend of mine um, was a manager um, at this business. And so um, I had sat down with her and talked to her about it. And um, then she got a meeting for me with um, the owner. And then from there, I came in and presented to all of the employees. And then the ones who were interested signed up. And initially, um, it was just the minimum five who signed up. And, but then from there, you know, kind of as word got out, that one has grown and grown. And actually, because that business, the employees pay for themselves, um, I've had 100% retention when they've left 
that business, they've all stayed with me uh, because they really see value in the direct primary care membership. And so I continue to get patients from that business, but then then I keep them um, even as they go on to work at other places. You mentioned the minimum five. Is there a minimum requirement of five that you have uh, put forth to employers when they sign their employees up with your DPC? Yes. So, um, I mean, an employer could have, you know, two employees and, and sign them up and pay for them if they wanted to do so at the $75 per month rate. Uh, but in order to get the 20% discount and get $60 per employee per month, they need to sign up at least five. When you were presenting to people who, you know, just like most of the American culture are used to fee for service mm -hmm. and the insurance driven model, what kinds of questions did you get from that audience who, especially for, from the people who eventually joined on to your practice? Well, a lot of the questions were actually the kinds of questions that you would ask any doctor. You know, they wanted to know, will I be able to do their pap smear? And do I feel comfortable treating depression and anxiety? And so a lot of, and a lot of that presentation was about how I'm different from a fee-for-service doctor's office, how I set aside two hours for my initial appointment to really get to know somebody and do a deep dive into their medical history, um, how they have the ability to contact me for urgent things, you know, even, even on evenings and weekends, like if they get a yeast infection or a UTI, you know, you can get that quick treatment without having to go and wait in an urgent care or have to, you know, wait until Monday to call the doctor for things like that. So I think those were the things that were most important. And um, I'd say about half of them actually had great insurance through their spouses or they, um, they had the insurance option um, through the business and were willing to spend that extra money just to, just to be able to develop that relationship with the doctor and get the care that they needed when they needed it. Well said. And I can easily see how just you sharing that could potentially help people prepare if they are about to talk to employer groups mm -hmm. or um, people who are interested in DPC. So thank you for that. Uh, now that you have been open past two years, what has your experience been with regards to churn and how have you handled churn for your patient population? Mm -hmm. So my turnover is at 14% overall. Um, most of the patients who do leave do so for financial reasons. And there's definitely been more turnover this year than there was last year. Um, I really expected um, a lot of turnover at the beginning of the pandemic. And in fact, I had reached out to my patients, you know, kind of letting them know, you know, reach out to me if you're having financial issues, but I really didn't have any of that. It was actually kind of later on in the year. Um, I think when the stimulus checks and unemployment and all of that kind of dried up that people started struggling later on in the year. But even with the current economic situation, you know, most patients um, are sticking with their direct primary care memberships. They find value in the ability to contact their 
own personal doctor to get advice right now and avoid going into an urgent care center. And the major thing that I noticed when I analyzed my data is that my turnover was actually highest for the employees who got their DPC membership paid for by their employer. That when those patients changed jobs, they tended to leave my practice because they never really bought into DPC and didn't see the value. Uh, but like I said before, 100% of the employees who paid for their own DPC membership have continued their memberships um, after changing jobs. With regards to the value that you bring to your patients, can you share with us some of the aspects of your practice where patients realize, I, I can't get this care anywhere else? So I'm like a big bargain hunter. So that's one of the things that I love to do is to find great deals for my patients um, one of my uninsured patients desperately needed this foot surgery. And so I went with him to his podiatry appointment and I just flat out asked the surgeon, hey, what does this surgery cost? You know, my patient doesn't have insurance and, you know, he needs a reasonable price on this surgery. And he said he had no idea what the surgery would cost, but he was going to look into it. Um, and there is a cash pay surgery center uh, a few hours away, the Monticello Surgery Center in Charlottesville, Virginia. And I had looked up the surgery and it was going to cost $6,000 there. So I had called the patient um, to tell him that. And he told me that the podiatrist had already reached out to him and told him that the surgery would cost $2,000 total. And that's, you know, for the surgeon, the anesthesiologist, the surgery center cost everything. So I was amazed by that. And actually for this same patient, I had removed a large sebaceous cyst from his back and um, I had looked it up and based on the size, removal would have cost him $1,600 in a fee-for-service practice. Um, but obviously this procedure was free for him because it's included in his DPC membership. So, I mean, clearly for this patient, DPC pays for itself. Just with those two instances, what he saved will pay for the next six years of his DPC membership. It's incredible. And you just, you, you never know if you don't ask. So that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. You are advocating for your patients by, you know, even going so far as to attend a visit with a specialist um, that you've referred them to. Your involvement in that patient's particular care, is that an included service? Um, because I do know some people will charge extra for attending uh, specialist visits with their patients virtually or in person, or is that something that is included in your membership? Well, I don't know if I would say it's included because I don't go to every specialist visit, um, but certain specialist visits I want to attend. So often it's the first visit or sometimes it's just a particularly important visit or it's one in which I'm wanting to advocate for the patient. Sometimes it's a financial advocacy that I'm doing. Um, sometimes it's just that I feel like there's something that's not right, or I want to be there to make sure that both parties really understand and that we can all together come up with a plan going forward. Because I've been frustrated sometimes to get specialist notes back and they don't really say anything, or sometimes the patient doesn't see the specialist at all. They, they show up and there's a nurse practitioner that doesn't really know what's going on. Um, and is just sort of there as a placeholder. So, so in certain cases, I feel like it's really important that I do attend um, those visits with my patients. But, but I don't put it down as a 
um, an included service because, um, because I don't necessarily attend every specialist visit, but I have done that on, I'd say probably four different occasions when I felt like it was really important to do so. Spoken like a true DPC doctor though, right? Mm -hmm. Like the fact that you just said that there are some patients who I just want to or need to attend. Mm -hmm. I I think we can all relate to that with regards to the 72 year old who has a a memory that is not a hundred percent trustworthy Um, or someone who doesn't understand their diagnosis or someone who is very much introverted and won't ask questions because they're speaking yeah. to a doctor. Um, we, we can all relate to having patients like that. So that is wonderful that, you know, you, you use your, your skills and you use your advocacy as needed for your patients. I mean, that's again, exactly going at the heart of DPC. I agree. I have become a huge fan of podcasts. Ever since Sarah Koenig hosted the first season of Serial, I was hooked. Now, creating this podcast has become part of my daily life. While it is an exciting new hobby, I also see it as a privilege that I get to interview so many DPC and direct care doctors. If you are interested in starting a podcast, let me tell you a little bit about Anchor. First of all, it's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast as well with no minimum listenership. It's basically everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. You offer sublingual immunotherapy as well as hormone replacement therapy. Can you tell us about these services? Yes. So whenever I notice that some of my patients are spending what I feel like is too much money on something in the healthcare realm, I try to find a more affordable option for them or even see if it's something that I can offer to them myself. Um, So based on patient interest, um, I added skin prick testing for allergies and sublingual immunotherapy, as well as bioidentical hormone replacement, including testosterone pellets. Hampton Roads, Virginia has one of the highest pollen counts in the country. So almost everyone who lives here has allergy symptoms to some extent. And allergies, as you know, can contribute to to asthma, to eczema, urticaria, acid reflux, and other conditions. Um, And a lot of people just can't control their symptoms with over-the-counter medications, and they really need immunotherapy. But allergy shots are extremely expensive, especially if you don't have insurance. And sublingual immunotherapy, these are drops that go under the tongue. They work just like allergy shots, but since they're given in smaller, more frequent doses, they're actually more effective and safer. And they're obviously more convenient and more affordable. Um, Through the company Allergy Choices, the drops cost about $40 per month, and um, I charge $125 for the allergy testing for my patients. And then hormone replacement therapy, um, I was getting a lot of questions about this, and I knew I wasn't an expert in that arena. And so um, over the past year, I've taken some online courses from the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. And now I feel a lot more comfortable giving recommendations to my patients, and I can even treat both men and women with testosterone deficiency with testosterone pellets. 
Are you giving patients drops that they administer at home? Do they come into your clinic to do that? How does that work specifically when a person when a person is doing allergy treatment? They, you. they can actually self-administer them. So they're given three times a day. Um, and I'm the one prescribing the drops. So, so I'm coming up with the dosing for the drops and I send that prescription into allergy choices and allergy choices will then mail those drops to the patient and bill the patient's credit card for those drops. So, so the cost of the drops that doesn't pass through me at all, that's just directly between the patient and the, the company allergy choices. Um, so the only thing I'm charging for is the allergy testing. Um, but then I'm the one uh, making the decision on how to prescribe those drops. And when you're needing to adjust a patient's mm-hmm. drops uh, or drop regimen, how do you go about doing that? And did you have additional training to be able to feel confident doing that? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yeah. Allergy choices, when you get set up with them, um, they actually take you through um, a training program. And so every three months you go over the symptoms that the patient's having and you can make some adjustments accordingly. And then every six months you go back to the allergy testing to see how much of a difference those drops are actually making. So, so part of it is based on, on the symptoms the patient is subjectively experiencing. And then the other part is the objective data, um, whether you're getting blood work or doing skin prick testing. Um, to see if their if their allergy is truly decreasing based on the therapy, and so far since I've been using it, I've seen tremendous success. So my patients who are using it are extremely pleased with the results, and it hasn't been that long that I've been doing it; just over six months now. So that's that's a pretty short period of time since immunotherapy typically goes for several years. Um, but patients are seeing results in as little as three months. And were some of those patients who are seeing results formerly on allergy shots? A couple of them, yes. Um, and in fact, some of them had allergies that have resolved with their allergy shots, uh, but then they have these other allergies. So like I had one patient that used to be on allergy shots. She was on allergy shots for years Um, And used to be allergic to cats and her cat allergy based on her allergy testing has fully resolved, but she has a dog allergy. It really doesn't matter. She has neither cats nor dogs, (laughs) but, but I thought that was kind of interesting that, um, that the shots uh, worked for her cat allergy, but not for her dog allergy. Stay with us. We'll be right back. calls for more content have not fallen on deaf ears. I am so excited to announce the My DPC Story Patreon community. Delve into exclusive full-length interviews with pioneers like Dr. Niti Kapoor, our inaugural physician guest, and get further enlightening insights from our current season's doctors, starting with Dr. Harpreet Sui. Hear our guests share even more from their worst days to their best days and everything in between. Get access to this treasure trove of conversations and more by joining our My DPC Story community now. Check out the link in the show notes or go to patreon.com forward slash My DPC Story Fan. That's P 
patreon.com forward slash mydpcstoryfan. It's great that you had two examples that you can think of um, just on the fly about patients who are benefiting even Mm -hmm. despite allergy shots, because, you know, just thinking about you having that service offered in your DPC for the past six months, I mean, we're still, today is November, but in terms of six months ago, we were still transitioning from spring to summer. So like where I live that time of year, we are dealing with a ton of cedar allergies. Mm -hmm. And um, that would definitely be a question that a lot of people I, that I could foresee a lot of people asking um, is, well, I've been on allergy shots. How is this going to potentially benefit me? So that that's wonderful. The compliance and, with um, allergy shots is extremely low. Um, I mean, just imagine anyone trying to fit in a weekly doctor's visit into their schedule. I mean, it's, I feel like that's impossible to actually get all of the allergy shots that you need. But it's fairly simple to do those drops that you can self-administer three times a day. So that's why the allergy drops have um, much better data than the shots. I laugh because in our community, the closest allergist is 45 minutes away. And, you know, if your appointment is at 430 and it's starting to get dark and you Mm -hmm. have vision issues. I've seen so many examples of why people are not compliant with allergy shots. Mm-hmm. It's just so um, amazing that you're able to offer that service for your patients and that it's self-administered. Mm-hmm. With regards to the hormone replacement therapy, can you give us some examples of how you've used that for your patients? So with hormone replacement therapy, I was always a little bit leery. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with the WHI trial and, you know, the concerns about breast cancer and heart attacks and strokes. But when I really, you know, dove in on, on researching this and, you know, actually getting some training in hormone replacement therapy, what, what they have done since WHI is additional trials on different types of hormones and basically they what they learned is that it was the use of synthetic progestins and premarin which is um horse estrogens in in WHI and that was actually what was responsible for for the heart attack strokes and um increased risk of breast cancer that they found but when you use bioidentical hormones which means hormones that are found naturally in human beings so human estrogens and human progesterone without anything that's synthetic or that's um, found in another species we don't see any of that in fact we actually see decreased risks of cardiovascular disease with hormone replacement therapy. So decreased risk of heart attacks, decreased risk of strokes, decreased risks of breast cancer. In addition to all of the good stuff that they found in WHI, um, the ability to treat osteoporosis better than all of the other methods out there, um, and the decreased risks of uterine cancer. Plus, plus these hormones just make people feel better. You know, they um, they help to treat the increased incidence of depression and anxiety that are seen in postmenopausal women. 
Um, they help with sleep. They help with pain. Uh, they help with energy, with weight loss. So it, it really benefits people to take a look at where their hormone levels are and get those back into the optimal ranges. And it feels good now to be able to do that safely. And, and it can be done affordably too. In you know, most of my patients, I'm, I'm just using uh, medications that you can get for about $50 at any pharmacy, you know, with the oral progesterone and estrogen patches. It's, it's fairly simple to be able to do that hormone replacement. Uh, but if women do need um, a little bit of testosterone, um, pellet therapy is really the way to go. Your extra training with Allergy Choices and the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine, mm-hmm. um, how, how much of an impact did that, did that extra training make on your schedule, especially when you were doing urgent care, your DPC, and being a mom and a wife? How, was, it, was it fairly easy to fit into your schedule to do that extra training? Um, I mean, it, it did take a little bit of time, um, but certainly there's so much more time with, um, with direct primary care than I ever had in the fee-for-service world. So I, I had that time to give, and that's something that, that I want to be able to do. You know, I don't want to be one of those doctors that hasn't done any research or gotten any training since residency, and I'm just doing the same old thing. Um, I want to make sure that I'm keeping myself up to date and giving my patients the very best care that's out there. So I think that that's really important. And that's part of the reason that I wanted my own practice. You know, I wanted to have that flexibility and to be able to offer what my patients really needed. I'm glad that you're highlighting that you have more time in DPC to do Mm -hmm. what you want and what you need to do for your patients. So that that's wonderful. You are also offering 12 week challenges. What does that look like for patients in your practice? Yes. So this um, really, I'm trying to kind of recreate the things that I did for myself um, during that two year period when, when I was really trying to, be the best me and get myself prepared to start a direct primary care practice. And I worked with a couple of coaches during that time period. And so I want to be able to offer that same type of thing to my patients. So when we do a 12 week wellness challenge, um, the whole purpose of this is really that these lifestyle changes, um, they really help with virtually every medical condition and um, work to improve both physical and mental health. So we start out by adding healthy habits, like things like increasing how much water you drink and increasing um, your leafy green vegetables and um, getting more sleep. And then we start to cut back on some of the things that can be harmful, like sugar, alcohol, other processed carbohydrates. Um, And then we're also adding in exercise, gratitude practice, meditation, and thought work, which is kind of like cognitive behavioral therapy. Do you have a certain number of patients that you enroll in each 12-week challenge period? Or is it something where any patient can join at any time? Um, It's a thing where I, um, I offer it out to all of my patients and then... 
And then I start out with that group and that same group goes through the 12 weeks. Although I have had patients that enroll in the middle of a 12 week wellness challenge and I feel like it would really be beneficial for them. And so, so I get them started up even though it's um, kind of late in the game. I'm actually considering doing another one soon and maybe just forcing all my patients to participate because I feel like, I feel like we all need this. I know I certainly do. I've um, really gotten into some bad habits during the pandemic and, um, and I, I need that kick in the pants to get back on track. So, so I, I may just have all my patients go ahead and do that with me this time around. When you have patients who are participating in a 12-week challenge, how do you communicate with them or check in with them throughout the 12 weeks? I do it by email. So there's an email once a week, and then they get a little chart that they fill out, and then they send that back to me. That was actually the change I was thinking about making was um, rather than doing it as a challenge where they count points and stuff, um, that I would just have everyone participate and kind of do it on their own um, rather than doing it as a, as a competition like I've done in the past. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Thank you to Spruce Health for supporting the My DPC Story podcast. The ways we communicate have changed dramatically over the past decades, but technology and tools in healthcare have not kept pace. Patients want more access and digital convenience, as well as the ability to text their care teams. Care teams are inundated with more communication and rising expectations, but are still using tools and technology stuck in prior decades. Spruce Health created a solution for the tech-forward DPC practice by creating a communication product designed to serve both the patient and the doctor through intuitive HIPAA-compliant workflows, tagging, scheduled messages, and triage templates ready for use, whether you're on your phone or in the exam room. New users get 20% off for the first 12 months of a paid plan with code MARYAL20. That's M-A-R-Y-A-L-2-0. So check out Spruce Health today at sprucehealth.com or check out the link in the show notes. When people are filling out their charts, is it something that a patient can print out and fill out on their own time? Or is this something that they can log into your EMR or a, a common system that your practice uses to, to log in their progress? No, it's, it's just something that they print out and check the boxes. I mean, that would be super cool to have an app where you could, where you could log these things in. But um, I, don't, I don't think I have the cash uh, to shell out for an app like that. Understandable. <laughs> something that is floated around the DPC space is doctors who are managing their DPCs and also doing quote unquote side gigs for yourself. You are offering aviation and um, department of transportation exams. Can you share um, how you even learned about those and what that entails for your practice? Um, yes. So the DOT exams, I've been doing those for a long time. Um, that was, you know, at the urgent care where I used to work, um, that was one of the requirements. So um, any doctor can do DOT exams. You just need to take an online course and then go to a testing center and pass a test. 
as far as the aviation medical exams, um, you need to apply to be an aviation medical examiner and be selected prior to doing the training. Um, and the number of AMEs is limited in each region of the country. And I initially applied for that because one of my patients was a pilot and wanted me to do his exam. And so I just, you know, applied for that. And it was over a year later um, that I was finally selected uh, to be an aviation medical examiner and um, completed that training. Um, I actually completed that training virtually um, because it was uh, after the pandemic hit. And so, um, so I'm doing those exams now. Um, and basically these exams, um, I do offer them for non-members as well. So I perform them for my own patients at no cost. Um, and then I charge 150 to do these exams um, for non-members. And basically these exams are just a way to make sure that truck drivers and pilots are physically capable and healthy enough to drive and fly without endangering themselves or others. So you're just performing um, you know, a thorough medical exam and making sure they can see and hear and all of that. I wanna shift to your website. Um, given that it is the point of access to you at two o'clock in the morning, if someone's searching for DPC or if an employer is Googling, like you were mentioning and searching for DPC, you specifically use WordPress for your website. Mm -hmm. Did you design your website yourself or did you have someone do it for you? And how, how do you go about updating your site as new things come, like services like your 12-week challenge? Um, I designed it myself. WordPress is extremely easy to use. So, um, I mean, it's, it's basically like a Word document. So, and you can, you know, add pictures and stuff on there. So it's, it's not at all complicated um, to create one from scratch, um, as well as making updates when I, when I add new services. Um, and I post a blog article about once a month. The website, it's really not flashy, but it's easy to navigate. And that's what I really wanted was something that would be user-friendly for potential patients so that they could easily find the answers to their questions. I think that's so important to make it, you know, user-friendly, envision your website being looked at by a potential patient or a current patient, but also the fact that you have the power to do the updates yourself and you're not relying on someone to do the updates for you or to get in touch with the person who's supposed to do the updates for you. I think that's really powerful. Your social media posts, uh, specifically on platforms like Instagram, um, have a lot of what I considered professional pictures um, versus stock photos. So can you share about how you design and develop your material for social media and how do you go about your photography? So initially I was doing my own social media, but I was just posting sporadically and it was mostly memes or articles about direct primary care and there was no marketing strategy at all behind it. So um, I'm very happy that I hired a social media marketing team to completely take over my social media. Um, when I hired them, um, one of them was my patient and now all three are my patients and I get a mini photo shoot once a month and um, I can fill them in on anything new that's happening so that they can get the word out for me. But since they're all my patients, they, you know, 
uh, kind of know how the practice works and they're excited to spread the word about direct primary care. So that's really been wonderful. It's going back to you valuing yourself and you, you valuing your time. You know, if you can pay someone to do it and it's, it's not going to put you into the red mm-hmm. and you're happy with the results, why not? Yeah. Right? So that's awesome. Do you have any specific tech or tools that you use and love for your practice? Yes. So I am obsessed with this little six lead EKG. It's um, an Alive Core Cardia Mobile six lead EKG. It only costs $150. And you just need two thumbs and either your knee or your ankle um, and 30 seconds. And you get the first six leads of an EKG. And it's super easy, you know, when you when you hear just a slightly irregular heartbeat and you're like, oh, man, now I have to get out the EKG and prove that this isn't AFib. But now I can just in 30 seconds like, oh, that's just PVCs. That's what I thought it was you know, there's no AFib, awesome. And you don't have to untangle the EKG leads. And that's a beautiful thing. What advice do you have for those who are contemplating or actively entering the DPC space, looking back on your more than two years of practice now? I would just say, join us there. You've got nothing to lose. You have everything to gain. Um, don't do what I did and sit around for two years thinking and planning and hoping for, you know, inspiration to strike, like just jump in. It's really not necessary to spend a ton of time planning because it does not have to be perfect. You know, you can just start. You really don't need that much to start your business. I mean, there's been people, um, opening completely virtual DPCs. You know, they're, they're just doing it from their home. They have no office. They, they have no stethoscope. You know, they're, they're just doing this all virtually. There's other people that just have like a little doctor's bag and they're doing all house calls. I mean, there's a million ways that you can do DPC and it does not have to be expensive. You don't have to have any of this fancy stuff to get started. You can really just jump in with just the fact that you're a doctor. That's enough. On your journey to opening as well as since you've been in practice, are there any specific resources that you um, would recommend others check out? Uh, My major resource is the DPC docs page on Facebook. That's been so helpful at every phase of this journey from my like two years, just trying to, you know, get ideas and get ready to start to after I opened and, you know, had a bunch of questions along the way and the whole DPC community is just so generous and helpful and I've been able to get answers to all my questions plus moral support um, over the last four years. Do you have any ideas or suggestions as to how information can be shared about the movement especially to residents and or students? Well there's a medical school right here um, in Hampton Roads in Norfolk, Virginia Um, the Eastern Virginia Medical School or EVMS. And I have spoken to medical students at EVMS on a couple different occasions um, about direct primary care. You know, it's really just about getting the word out and then being available for um, students that want to shadow or do rotations. And I really feel like direct primary care is the answer to the primary care shortage because more medical students will be interested in primary care if they can see that there's a path to really becoming the type of doctor 
that they envisioned themselves being when they first applied to medical school, because that is DPC. You know, that's that's how we all envisioned ourselves, you know, when we were writing our personal statements and trying to get into medical school. I think that as the movement grows and there's more direct primary care and direct care practices in each community, I, I hope that that would be easier to achieve. Mm-hmm. What is the best way for others to reach out to you after this podcast? Uh, the best way would be to email me at fountaindpc at gmail.com. And you could also go to my website, fountaindirectprimarycare.com and learn more about my practice. Thank you so much, Dr. O'Rourke, for joining us today. Thank you so much. Your podcast is amazing. I've listened to every episode and I can't wait to hear them all. Next week, look forward to hearing from Dr. Doug Ferrego. Until then, this is Marielle Consumption. For more information on this episode and much more, please visit mydpcstory.com.